From WOUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Taylor Brock. And I'm Jacquez Printup. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. This week on The Outlet, ever frustrated with that textbook you spent an absurd amount on and never used? One of our reporters has some information on why textbooks are so expensive and tips on how to save you some cash. We'll also share one powerful story about an Ohio University student who plans on running a marathon in all 50 states. I do marathons as part of living my life for more than one purpose, just doing everything with reason, but more focusing on the desire to do something and not the reason to do it. We'll give you all the details and more coming up right here on The Outlet. An OU freshman has ran three marathons and plans to run 47 more, one in each state. It all began over two years ago, and despite facing a debilitating disease, she runs for her mother. With the story is Connor Keurig. Five forty a.m. That's when the alarm goes off. It's so tempting to hit snooze and sleep longer. You have every reason to fall back to sleep for another hour or two. Colleen Renane does too, as someone who suffers from hypothyroidism, but she doesn't. She's out of bed and in her size 5 Brooks Pureflow running shoes before the sun rises. First, she takes her thyroid medication, puts her contacts in, then she's out of her dorm whether it's 20 or 80 degrees outside. She chooses to work out or run 5, 6, or 7 miles before class because she wants to. I do marathons as part of living my life for more than one purpose, just doing everything with reason, but more focusing on the desire to do something and not the reason to do it. So my mom was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was 15, and she, I mean, we had had previous experiences that were debilitating, like my father's death and other financial issues, but soon after she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, she also lost her job. One day, the Circleville family had a discussion about running. Her mother, Deborah, had ran two marathons when she was younger. That resonated with Colleen. She believed running was just what she needed to do to motivate her mother back onto her feet. She's like, you know, been like a role model to me in many ways. With all of her perseverance and determination, I think, well, my gosh, I've seen what all she's gone through. I feel like a wimp if I, if I don't get out there and at least try this stuff, you know. Deborah said seeing Colleen react this positively to adversity has had an immense impact on her. Now she has a job in health services in Mount Carmel. Also, she's joining her daughter in her Marathon in Every State plan by walking the half marathons. She described watching her daughter cross the finish line for the first time. I'm so glad she did. I'm, you know, I'm just so happy to see her that finishing line and I was I could tell from her face it was a struggle for her it was like she did it and I'm so proud and so happy it's not instant gratification but that's what makes it worth it I think after crossing my first marathon 
my first, I mean, other than the thought was like, thank God I can stop moving right now. I was more like, I just ran a marathon. I don't know how many 17 year olds can say that. And I don't know how many people in the world can say that, but I can. It was just days after that first marathon in Cuyahoga National Park in October 2015, when Colleen faced her own medical issue. Hypothyroidism stole her ability to stay awake. It happens when the thyroid stops producing enough hormones. In other words, the metabolism stops functioning correctly, or maybe at all. It can cause hair loss, weight gain, and a general sense of fatigue. In Colleen's case, her palms and feet even dried out and turned orange. Her mother noticed that in an emergency room. Colleen described the Friday night when symptoms became unbearable. The night before I had a swim meet, I was on the couch and I kept falling asleep uncontrollably and I went to the bathroom and then I ended up apparently sitting there for half an hour because I couldn't remember why I went in there and I had it I had started losing my focus in school I didn't understand what was going on a lot of the time I just did not feel like myself and so I got really scared and I called my mom and she called me and she says mom I need to go to the emergency room I said well what's wrong she goes, I don't feel right. And I told her that like, I felt like something was wrong. And she initially didn't believe me because the symptoms of hyperthyroidism can be obviously chalked up to stress or something like that. So even when I came to the urgent care, the doctor was still kind of skeptic. But then they drew a bunch of lab work, and uh, the next day is when we found out that her thyroid level was off. The doctor told my mom that he had no idea how I ran a marathon or how I'm doing because how I'm getting through my days because my thyroid was so, like, depleted, to, so to speak. The worst was over. Colleen was prescribed medication and her condition improved. Training for her second marathon could begin. It took place in July 2016 in Minnesota, where she raced 26.2 miles along Lake Superior. But nothing has been perfect. She faced trips to the doctor to check thyroid levels often. And now, as an exercise physiology major, this athlete balances her condition with schoolwork and training. If I'm too tired to do something, then sometimes I have to accept that. It's, I've read a story once about having like people with debilitating diseases always carry an extra spoon in their pocket, meaning that they're always prepared, which I am. I know when to stop. I know when I need to take a rest, and I know that sometimes I can't do everything. I can't stay up late like other college students. I can't, I just can't do some of the things that they do, but that's just, I think that my disease has made me more aware of my body. But she does what she can do, and she can raise money for multiple sclerosis, another reason for running a marathon in every state in the country. I think that anyone is capable of doing it, even if you have to walk it, even if you have to be in a wheelchair, even if you're crawling at the end, it doesn't matter. Her next race will be in Iowa on June 10th. Colleen's not running away from anything. Not her thyroid condition, not her father's death, and not her mother's multiple sclerosis. Instead, she's running toward a future as certain as the sunrise she experiences at dawn as she runs on the Athens bike path. That's why she gets up at 5.40 a.m. For The Outlet, I'm Connor Keurig. This week, The Outlet's Ali Eldridge went to the Alumni Association-sponsored event, Dinner with 12 Strangers, to find out how the dinner began and what it's really like to eat dinner with 12 people you've never met. In Las Vegas, because they were coming in from all over the world, and so it was like, and I just, that's really pretty... I'm in a small dining room at the Ohio University Inn, making conversation with people I've never met before. 
There are two hosts and seven OU students, including myself, sitting at the table. Several of our fellow would-be guests couldn't make the dinner that night, so dinner with 12 strangers became dinner with nine strangers instead. I've heard about the dinner before, either from students who have gone to the dinner in the past or through the emails sent out each month by the Alumni Association, letting students know to sign up for the event ASAP before the limited number of spots got filled up. I decided to sign up for the dinner on February 22nd, curious about the whole idea of the event. One of my big questions, when did this event start? So um, it started in the early 2000s, and it's actually a trend that has been picking up at a number of different colleges around the United States. That was Katrina Hailmeyer. She's the Associate Director of Campus Relations at the Alumni Association, and according to Katrina, you could leave the dinner with something sweet other than dessert. Um, you go and meet with um, alumni, and you meet with you know alumni that might be interesting to you. And the idea is that you come to dinner as 12 strangers and you leave with 11 friends. So you get to meet some cool OU alumni, but what about the rest of the dinner guests? So it's nice because you not only connect with the alum that might be the host, but you also get to connect with current students that maybe you've seen in classes or you know of, but you don't know very well. Um, and so it's a, it's a neat opportunity that the connections happen not only between the alumni and the students, but also between the students and each other. Ohio University has tons of alumni scattered throughout the world, but how exactly does the Alumni Association find hosts for each of the dinners? So we actually opened up a form that any alum can sign up to be a host. They go through um, an interview with myself and um, some of my interns. Sometimes they will have it at their home or um, at uh, like a clubhouse for them. And so we'll go and do site visits. um, And sometimes they'll have them in local restaurants too. Katrina was able to tell me a lot about when the dinner started and some of the benefits for having them, but there's no way for her to tell me how I'd feel walking into a room full of people I didn't know and having dinner with them. That was something I'd have to figure out for myself. The hosts for the dinner I was attending were David Brightbill and Jerry Spencer. David was a member of the class of 1970 and graduated Ohio University with a BSED, and Jerry received her MBA from OU in 1988. I sat next to Jerry at one end of the table, and David was on the opposite end of the other side. The table was small, so no one had to strain to hear what the other was saying. To my surprise, the conversation flowed continuously throughout the entire dinner. I enjoyed listening to what everyone had to say, but one question kept popping into my head during the event. Why did these people decide to host? Because I really enjoy students. I mean, I think it's so neat. And as I said earlier, they're so smart, and they, they do so many neat things. And it's just it's, I just enjoy being around them. David Brightville has hosted three dinners with Jerry within the past four years. While Jerry and I talked a lot during the dinner, she didn't want to be interviewed. Jerry is a loyal alum and follows all things at Ohio University, but David has been involved with OU as more than just a student. Well, I was a student here. Uh, My son went here. I was on the alumni board for three years and the board of trustees for seven years. And uh, now I'm on the Dean's Advisory Committee for Health Sciences and Professions. And I love the university, so I spend a lot of time here. A lot has changed since either of the hosts had been students here. David told us about the curfews women used to have when he went to school here and about the little ashtrays all the classrooms had because students were allowed to smoke in their classes at the time. Jerry was born and raised in Ireland and spoke about the adjustments she had to make when she moved to the U.S., like learning and understanding our different terms and catchphrases for things. 
Although it can be intimidating walking into a room full of strangers, I quickly became comfortable talking to everyone. The age groups of students range from freshmen to graduate students, but all being students at OU, we bonded over things like complaining about the temperature of the buildings we had classes in and the difficulty of our courses. Nervous for the event, I walked into the room worried we would sit there for the entire dinner going in between small talk and awkward silence. There was hardly any silence. Questions and answers flew back and forth between the guests the entire time. The entire hour and a half went by quickly and the dinner was over in the blink of an eye. The dinner I almost didn't want to go to ended up being a dinner I didn't want to leave. From the class of 1970 to the class of 2020, we might have all had different majors and different interests, but there was one thing we had in common for sure. Our love for Ohio University. For the outlet, I'm Allie Eldridge. Have you ever walked into one of the bookstores to buy a textbook and saw the price of the book and your mind was just blown? Here's the outlet's Anna Hoffman telling you a little bit about why textbook prices are the way they are and what we can do as a Bobcat family to help. Recently, college students have started to find alternative ways to get a hold of their textbooks for their classes rather than buying the expensive copies. I would look online first to see if you can find a cheaper version and then I always ask around my friends in my sorority and then other organizations I'm a part of and see if they'll sell it to me for cheaper. That was freshman Julia Tice. She is a member of the Pi Beta Phi sorority here on campus. Members of her sorority pass books down for others to use. Other sororities have a library of books within their houses donated by past and current members. Borrowing books is one of the many ways that students have started to save money each semester on textbooks. If a class gets lucky, there are times where a professor will provide a free online version of the text. This would for short help those who are in financial need, or if a student simply just prefers to use the free version. Another resource for finding cheaper textbooks here on campus would be to check the Alden Library. In certain class situations, there will be a copy of the textbook somewhere in the library. So you don't have to sift through every shelf of the stacks on the 6th and 7th floor. Check the Alden website first to see if the book you are looking for is there. Who knows, there may even be a PDF version available on the website. In the generation of technology, you can buy just about anything on the internet. This includes textbooks. I know that Amazon sells them normally used, so they'll be like a lot less expensive than like buying or borrowing. Freshman Megan Tinnerington says she bought the majority of her textbooks on websites like Amazon this semester. Amazon offers buyers three different options when buying their books. The first would be to buy a new version of the text for full price. Second would be to buy a used version, which is usually about $20 to $30 cheaper than the new version. The last option would be to rent the textbook. This means that you would have to send the textbook back once you are finished with it, but you are able to purchase it for about half price. Websites like Amazon are a good choice for the students who would like to have the book physically in front of them so they are able to get it at an affordable price. Students began to find these alternative ways to get their books because the cost of buying four or five $100 textbooks starts to add up within the four years. According to NBC News, textbook prices have risen more than 1,000% between 1977 and 2015. 
So they will just continue to rise over the years because students are going to continue to buy the books. Professors do not choose how much the textbook for their class will cost. They are just giving the students what they need to learn in the course. So because of that, students start to take matters into their own hands by finding these alternative ways so that they can save their money. That's it for our show this week. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet is co-produced and co-hosted this week by me, Jacques Printup, and Taylor Brug. We're edited by Atish Badia, Susan Tebbin, and Allison Hunter. Adam Rich is our technical assistant. Our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud and iTunes or find us online at woub.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Outlet underscore WOUB. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. Thanks for listening.